Hello, and welcome to episode three of She's Speaking, the podcast I am creating as part of my McNulty Women's Leadership Project. I am here today with my friend Mads, who I'm going to be interviewing. Mads, welcome to the show. Hi, thank you so much for having me. It's a pleasure to have you here. So we're going to have yet another freewheeling discussion about uh, leadership and gender identity. So let's just start off. And if you could introduce yourself, tell us your name, your pronouns, your year, your majors, and maybe a fun fact about you. Yeah. So my name is Mads Madeline Scolio. Uh, My pronouns are she, her, and I am a sophomore here at Villanova majoring in geography and global health. And a fun fact about me is that this summer I am going abroad to Italy and living on a vineyard and farming. That is so exciting. I'm so glad you have that lined up. That sounds incredible. Okay, so the first part of our discussion here today is going to be just a little bit about leadership. So I was hoping you could start us off with describing what your ideal leader looks like. Yeah, so I think for me, um, there's kind of two things that are really important in a leader. One of those things is that they hold themselves to the same standard that they hold you. I think it's really hard to be motivated to like work for a cause when when you see that like the people above you are not equally as motivated or at least like not holding themselves accountable in the way that they are trying to hold you accountable it's kind of like really discouraging to be held to a double standard like that and then the other thing I would say is kindness or like some sort of like internal goodness uh I think oftentimes especially like in classes or in organizations like when I see that the person who is like organizing everything or who is leading um is really nice and and nice to the people around them like it makes me want to work harder to like to like I guess support their goodness and like their ability to bring goodness into the world um and it's like also just like you look at those people and you're like this is such a wonderful person I would never ever want to do anything that would make them think that I am not as wonderful as them as well that's a that's a like fascinating point that you make about like kindness. That's something I haven't heard anyone say that I've interviewed before. So thank you so much for bringing that up. Um, you may very well have already touched on this, but my next question for you, what you think perhaps the single most important trait for a leader to have is? That is a very, very good question. Um, I guess I would have to say that that like kindness or goodness component I think is very important because even like even at the end of the day if you are a horrible leader in every other aspect I think that that sort of characteristic of like people genuinely liking you and genuinely wanting to do things to support you um just because of like who you are and how you treat the people around you like it, it won't matter if you're like really bad at delegating tasks or things like that like if people want to support you because you're a good person and like they view the things that you're doing as good, they will find a way to do that. Um, and so it kind of like helps you get away from, I guess, like having to get caught in the weeds with other things. Yeah, that's a great point. Thank you. Um, I was wondering if maybe off the top of your head, you could think of someone that you know, or like a political figure or anything else that sort of exemplifies that like kindness that you're talking about. It could be like someone personal mm-hmm. or. Um, I feel like, well, I'm a member of Get Woke and we, we, it's more of like a committee 
aspect but the person who leads our meetings is like the communications chair and we've recently turned over to now um one of my friends raven is the is our communications chair and like she is just so wonderful in every way that it has made me want to work so much harder and like be so much better at my role in this organization because like I just want to make her life easier and I just want to make things like go better for her and I want her to like help her accomplish the things that she wants to within this organization and all she also makes it like very enjoyable to do these things like they don't feel like things that I have to do like I was saying before it they're now things that like I want to do um and I think that that's really important as well that's fantastic thank you so much so you already mentioned that you're a member of get woke and maybe that's part of your answer can you tell us a little bit about how you serve as a leader in your everyday life um, yeah, so within, I think within like my Villanova community, which is probably like my most uh, like stable community, I am in a lot of different organizations. So I'm the president of the Villanova Environmental Group. And I also serve on the or the College of Liberal Arts and Sciences Sustainability Academic, like ac- it's such a long um, <laughs> name, but like some sort of like advocacy subcommittee. Um, I am in act i'm in get woke i i'm trying to think of like all the other things i do but i'm pretty involved and i think that like the way that i serve as a leader within those organizations is just like be understanding that like what i have to bring to the table is very valuable and that the like ideas and thoughts that i can present um people want to hear and will like actually be helpful (laughs) and so like using my voice and making sure that i'm like clear and not like too timid is kind of like where i've found my niche and also just like going in and making sure to create an environment that's like not awkward and where everyone feels comfortable I feel like especially with zoom and also like a lot of the organizations that I'm a part of like can tackle kind of uncomfortable topics and so it's important to like to be serious and be clear but also to create an environment where like people do feel comfortable That's a fantastic point. Yeah, I know that can be a challenge for a lot of people who are in positions of leadership, but it seems like you've really taken on the challenge. And that leads to sort of my last question that I have for you about being a leader, which is what is the most challenging thing to you about being a leader? Yeah, I think sometimes there are just certain times where no matter how hard you try, um, you know, like the people that you're with either just don't care or they're just not you know like meshing together like you would want them to and and you have to I guess not take it personal and just know like everyone is trying their best and maybe this person is only pulling up to this event to put it on their resume and that's okay too um but yeah that that the things that you care about maybe not everyone will care about them and like there's only a certain extent to where you can I guess like extend your enthusiasm to other people and um just knowing that like there's only I guess like a certain amount of things that are under your control and like you can do as much as you can in that aspect but after a certain point um it's a lot of it is circumstantial Mm. That's a very excellent point. And again, no one has brought that up before. So thank you so much. Um, Those are some fantastic insights about leadership. So we're going to conclude the leadership aspect of the program. And when we come back, we will talk a little bit about gender and how it has impacted Mads' experience. So we will be right back.
And we're back. Thank you again so much for tuning in. And thank you to Mads for being with us. So Mads, if you could just remind everyone listening of your gender identity. Yeah, my name is Mads. I go by she, her pronouns. Fantastic. Thank you. So if you could just give us a very broad picture of how your gender identity has impacted your life experience. Has it been an overall positive, an overall negative? Has it not impacted you that much? What would you say? Um, I would say that my like identification as a woman has been really impactful in my life. I come from a family of like all girls, like the only male people in my family are my dad and my grandpa. But other than that, like I only have aunts and I only have like girl cousins. And so like, like it wasn't even something I really thought about growing up until I kind of had to like step out of that bubble of like womanhood. <laughs> but looking back on it now, I think I was very fortunate to be raised in an environment like that where like any sort of like strange um, dynamics that would come into play between like, I guess, family members of different gender identifications like that wasn't even really a thought that we were kind of just like free to do whatever you wanted to do. <laughs> um, and like my mom and like, my my aunts are like pretty girl bossy so they were (laughs) they were like very into us like being allowed to do whatever we want um or like my dad was like my dad was like also kind of girl bossy and that like he was like you will play sports and you can't be on the cheerleading team which like in hindsight is a little bit problematic but I I, like understand like good sentiments that he like had like it was very much about to be like supposed to be about like empowering us and like not having our gender um be viewed as like something that's holding us back I guess on the negative aspect like about being a woman or and like presenting this way is that um no one takes you seriously I think especially when you're a young woman like no one takes you seriously uh I feel like I have a lot of like day-to-day like minute issues with this like I'll try and make a doctor's appointment and you can just tell that like the secretary knows from your voice that you are 20 years old and that you don't know what you're doing and that because of that they can just kind of push you around or like I had an experience in the airport a few weeks ago where this like strange man came up to me and like tried to tell me I'd missed my flight and like took my ticket and like ran away from me. It was really weird. And then like when I was going to try and fix that and like find someone to help me, like everyone was just kind of trying to like scam me and like take my money because they like looked at me and they were like, obviously this girl is 20 years old and a woman. And so she certainly can't know what's going on, Um, which is just like frustrating because it just makes your life so much more difficult when I know like on the other end of things, uh, people don't have to experience that. No, you make an excellent point there. Like I can very much relate to the like day-to-day inconveniences <laughs> that men definitely don't have to put up with. And they're so small too. Like it's like sometimes it's hard to put your finger on it, but like but like it's there and I think like every like all like you'll talk to girls your age or like like and everyone knows exactly what you're talking about about yeah. like like people just think you don't know what's going on. Yeah, I know. And it's not even just like young girls or like girls our age. Um there's actually an article that I read was that was pretty interesting where um a man and a woman working at the same company switched email addresses mm-hmm. for a week and they were both working in customer service and the woman had such an easier time using the man's email address for that week and the man using the woman's email address kept getting problems people being like well could you check again like not <laughs> believing what he had yeah. to say and trusting him and it's just sort of like intrinsic in a lot of people to 
like doubt women or like not help them the way that they need help. (laughs) So moving on from that, can you think of a broad gendered issue that impacts you or people you know in any area of your life and how you would like to see it repaired? I know you've already touched on this a little bit with just day-to-day inconveniences, but if you can think of anything else. Um, like a gender, like, could you give me an example of like, uh, like what you mean by a gendered issue? A gendered issue. Um, take for example, how like women's sanitary products are like taxed Mm -hmm. when, you know, we need those things and they shouldn't be or how they aren't available in all restrooms, things like those. yeah, Yeah. Okay. Um, it's like so hard to isolate (laughs) one certain thing. I feel like because it's not, I feel like it's, it's like easier to look at things in that way but at the end of the day sometimes it just feels like this like very large like wet blanket holding (laughs) down onto you that you like can't really figure out how to get out of um I don't know I've been thinking I guess like recently I've been thinking a lot about like not to be like the typical liberal arts college (laughs) major but like the idea of like a panopticon and like what I have to be as a woman to be like deemed successful yeah definitely um I think I've been talking about this a lot with my friends on campus is like you are and it's kind of like this is like a trend there's like a certain kind of woman that you're told to be to be successful so like we were talking about it in terms of coming out of high school like the pushes to become a woman in stem Mm. because we need women in stem and if you're a woman in stem you're doing this brave wonderful thing which is like all true but I think that also puts a lot of pressure on like like I was good at STEM, but I didn't really enjoy it. But I've like I think I I felt a lot of obligation to do this because I'm like, well, if if I'm not a woman in STEM, then no one's gonna be a woman in STEM, and there's certainly already not enough women in STEM. So like I need to stay in STEM because I'm gonna let my entire gender down if I if I don't do this, or even just like the idea that like there are certain careers that like are for women or there are certain careers that aren't for women or there are certain careers that are like stereotypical of women like we've all heard of the like MRS comm degree and I think that that puts a lot of stigma around like people who are actually passionate and actually do feel like called to those things um and like it's like it'll always be in the back of your mind that people like have that perception of you that because you're getting this degree you're doing this or because you know you're a woman in STEM you're you're so brave in these things but like I don't know it's hard to it's hard to it's like those narratives are important and powerful but also I think there's a problem in that they like pigeonhole people into feeling Mm -hmm. like they need to act a certain sort of way um and that like doing things just because they want to do them is maybe not like allowed or like not what's most beneficial for everyone Mm mm-hmm but that I think that also like plays into the larger like conversation of like choice feminism, which like at the end of the day, like I, I don't know, like if you want the entire like female um like gender or like anyone who like presents as a female to um flourish, like we do have to look at those things and we do have to say like, okay, what is the best place for us to like to to be? You're right, but you make an excellent point. Like for anyone listening who doesn't know us, Mads and I are basically the same person. (laughs) So I entered Villanova planning on studying math because I was like, okay at it in high school. And I was like, we need more women in math. And if I don't do it, who's going to do it? And like, there aren't a lot of female math majors here. So I was like, you know, I'm doing a good and important thing, but I was like miserable and I hated it. And now I'm a philosophy major and I love it. So 
you do make a point about like the importance of women being in STEM, but also the importance of not like forcing women into STEM. Yeah. It's it's if they like would like it and enjoy it and if it's a good fit for them. So thank you so much for bringing that up. Uh, the next question I have for you, you've already like very much dealt with gender and education, but if there's another gendered issue you can think of that has impacted your education or maybe even any employment experience you've had. Um, I think, I think like a, a kind of a combination of like the last two mm-hmm. is most of my employment experience has been in like the service industry. Mm. So I've been like, just like smiling and waving, like in high school, I worked at a diner and, and that is just like such a funny dynamic because you're interacting with all of these boomers who very much have like the idea that you, that it is still like 1975 <laughs> and that they can like reach behind the cash register and, t- and like grab your arm oh or like do things like that. Like one time, like this man like cornered me in the parking lot. I think there's just, it's certain things of like, the, like I can laugh at those things but also at the end of the because like I because I know I wasn't gonna like work in this diner forever right um but it's also like those like I might laugh at those boomers getting breakfast on a Sunday morning but they also um like run important companies and things like that where I like I would like to be employed <laughs> and like like to do work someday so as much as I can like haha laugh about it it's also like uh i guess like a litmus test for a greater issue yeah no definitely that mm-hmm. i don't even have anything else to say you you hit the nail right on the head um so moving forward do you see a gender disparity in your academic department or in any classes you have taken i'm just curious to see like to Ooh. gauge a bunch of villanova students so i'm in the the gev and the gis department mm-hmm. and the, both of them are like very small and like I guess like community oriented departments. So like uh GIS is I think like pretty evenly like male and female and GDV probably is even like more females than males and they all do like a really great job of um I guess like not making you feel weird about being like an academic girl. <laughs> um but I do remember fr- from my days from my I'm trying to think there was one class I took, and I think this is, like, the only time that I've, like, felt weird about it. Well, I took a class on global feminisms, and it was literally all women mm. and one gay man. And so I was like, what is going on here? Like, on one hand, it was wonderful to have a class of all women, and I, like, actually never felt as comfortable in an academic setting as I did then. Um, but on the other hand, I was like, certainly this class could be do a lot of good for a lot of people mm. um but it's just not like mandated that they take something like that I think like feminism is also a little interesting because I know we have this diversity requirement but it's kind of like a broad thing like you know you can take an Irish studies class and yes. that counts as a diversity. yes yeah so I feel like one thing I would like to see on like a university-wide stance is like they make you take these diversity classes but i think they should be like you need to specifically take one on race that's not irish studies yeah that makes and you need to take one on like gender and one on socioeconomic issues like that way people aren't just um like picking ones that's like fit within their comfort zone but they're actually like making themselves go out of the way and like learning different things Hmm. once again us having the exact same experience (laughs) i'm taking philosophy of women this semester and it's like three men in that class 
That's more than we got, though. Yeah. It's like, it's very saddening to see that, like, that class is only full of women. Like, it's a great thing and we have great discussion, but the fact that it's labeled like philosophy of women, I feel like would turn so many men off to taking the class. They're like, eh. I don't really care. Like, even if they're in the philosophy department, mm-hmm. it, the fact that women are made like other, that you have to take a class that's specifically philosophy of women yeah. is like like very sad to me because I've taken a bunch of other philosophy classes and we've read female thinkers in just philosophy 1000. We just read Iris Marion Young and that was it. And in my philosophy 1000, not a single girl boss makes an appearance. Yeah. No, it's it's saddening to see that like women have to be counted as a separate category so that like, oh, if you want to learn about women philosophy, you can go learn about women philosophy. It's not part of just philosophy as a whole. So yeah, that's kind of something that I would like to see Villanova repair as well. I think, and that's true for like a lot of other different things too, is like Villanova, like as much, and this is like shocking because there's such a big movement in like academia right now to move outside of the traditional westernized canon. Mm. But it's like, you're just not seeing it. Like I'm in a class on church and state right now too. And we only talk about like the Christian church in relationship to like US and Europe. And it's super frustrating because I'm like, I I personally don't want to talk about Thomas Jefferson anymore. And I personally don't yeah. think that I would like rather, and I'm way more interested in hearing about like other things that rather than having like the same five conversations over and over again. No, you're so right. I'm going to take like a class on ancient philosophy next semester. And I know I'm going to talk about like Aristotle and Plato for the 10th time. <laughs> Just a we would benefit so much. Yeah, <laughs> we would benefit so much from talking about other thinkers. And another thing I wanted to add on is in my philosophy of women class, we just read a piece by a trans woman who teaches at a university in California. And I read it and I was like, hmm, that's the first time I've ever read something by a transgender person yeah. ever, ever in my whole like 20 years of education. Yeah. Because it's like, it's, it's, and it, it's just like not presented to you, you know? Mm-hmm. And as much as I want to be like, oh, I read so much, I really only read when I'm at home because I don't have time during the semester to read. And so, like, these things that my professors are feeding me are, like, pretty well shaping a lot of my thoughts, you know? Yeah. And 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 it's just, like, I don't know. One, it's frustrating. Like, I'm a little bit sick of reading white men. <laughs> and I'm a little bit sick of, like, not being able to – or just, like, not – there's, like, a, you can just tell. Do you know what I mean? There's, like, a certain perspective of, like – the things that they're saying like are for me but but they're also not really for me Mm. they're written and they can apply to you but they didn't have you in mind when writing them exactly i know what you mean a hundred percent exactly um yeah just like reading more works by women have really opened my eyes to like oh there are people who experience what i experience we're just not (laughs) reading them in classes Mm -hmm. like that's it you have to go out of your way to find a class that incorporates that perspective but you know i'd also love to see the university sort of fix do yeah. do better on i mean that's like a bigger problem too but it's also like one of those things where i'm like this is pretty like this is pretty well documented that this is a problem and like you guys do have um a lot of power to uh, change that right. and it just doesn't seem like there's much going on mm. okay so i just have a few questions left for you um we're gonna jump to this one here is there anything you wish someone would have told you or shown you when you were in middle school in regards to your gendered experience Ooh, that's a really good question um well, I think I was a very, like, awkward and uncomfortable middle schooler. Um, I was kind of, like, released into this, like, big pond of, like, people that I didn't really know for the first time. Mm-hmm. And, like, I don't know. I, I was thinking about that the other day, about, like, how just, like, awkward I was. <laughs> 
And I think I wish, um, I guess I wish people would have told me that, like, my value as a woman, like, extended beyond, um, I guess, like, what I could do for other people. Do you know what I mean? Like, mm. like I wish, like, that people told me that I could just be valued as, like, an individual and I didn't have to be valued as, like, a member of, like, a friend group or someone's like crush or something like that and no, that, that like, makes i had so inherent dignity in my mm. own right that i didn't have to like earn by a by like um doing things to appease people or to get like approval uh other than that i think i i think i wish someone had explained the beauty myth to me at that point <laughs> <laughs> and about how it's just all a scam yeah <laughs> and about how i am gonna save myself so much time if i just simply like <laughs> understand it on a conceptual level so I can just move on with my life (laughs) (laughs) that's a great great point thank you so the last question I have for you today is how can we foster an environment that's more conducive to and welcoming towards female leaders but also just leaders that aren't straight white men essentially (laughs) (laughs) that is a wonderful wonderful question and I think that that I don't know how to answer that question all the way, but I think that that comes, I guess, from like an epistemological perspective from teaching men, I think especially white men, um, empathy, compassion, um, perhaps the ability to put themselves in other people's shoes, and maybe even to stop speaking sometimes. And, and listen to what other people have to say. <laughs> yeah. Um, or just, like, I, I think because it's a greater – it's, like, a greater problem than that we can just, like, do X, Y, and Z. I, mm. think, I think in my mind a lot of it stems back to, like, how you were raised. And as much as we want to be like, well, if we make them go through this training or that training, they will be nicer to their female leaders. Um, I don't know if that's necessarily true. And – I think, like, yeah, like, it's, it is, like, a bigger issue than just something that we can do in, like, one class period or something like that. Like, it's, it has a lot to do with, like, how we're raised and, like, why we're specifically raised the way that we are. Mm. That's an excellent point. Well, uh, that's all the questions I have for you. Thank you so much. You've had such insightful (laughs) and fantastic answers. It was such a pleasure to hear from you. Thank you so much for having me on your podcast. All right. Thank you guys for tuning in. Please tune in for the rest of the series. There will be eight more episodes of She's Speaking. So thank you again. Thank you, Mads. And we hope you enjoyed the episode.